Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Church, I hope you are enjoying your couch or your recliner or wherever you may be uh, seated at this moment. I am so honored and privileged to preach to you today. Yes, that's right, Jim. Thank you, Jim. I know he's chomping at the bit. He's chomping hard at the bit of wanting to preach, and I appreciate him letting me have this message. The reason he did is because this is the passage uh, that birthed the idea of Revealer. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, this is the main focal point of the book for me. Um, So thanks, Jim, because I know that it took a lot for you to bow down and let me preach again uh, twice in a row. By the way, Amanda, great job last week. I just had to give her some kudos here on the stage. You did an amazing job last week. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Um, So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be finishing the rest of Colossians 1, starting in verse 21 to 29. Um, I don't have much of an introduction today. Uh, I have mostly body because I have a lot to cover. So uh, if you're not paying attention, here's your wake-up call. Look at me. Listen to me. Okay, that's it. All right, so <laughs> that's my intro, nonetheless. Uh, if you guys want to stand with us as we read, our, read the Word, that's what we're going to do now. This is what the Word of God uh, in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21, says. Once you were an al- alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery, bingo, that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word today, and we are so excited uh, just to see the truths in this passage. And so, Father, as we continue on in this Revealer sermon series, God, that you would just help us see what exactly it is that you revealed. It's right here in this text today. So God, I pray that you would illuminate our minds, our hearts, our souls as we approach your word, Father. That as we try to master your scriptures, that in turn they might master us. We're so grateful for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, if you're standing, you can have a seat. If not, you can stay seated. Nonetheless, uh, let's just go through this 
um, verse by verse. I want to cover a few things um, just to pick off where we left, uh, pick up where we left off last time. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we just got done. Paul just got done uh, speaking in a poem, talking about the supremacy of Christ and how he uh, he has everything that we need as a Christian to be a Christ follower. And so he goes in to explain to them their who they were before they were reborn, before they knew Jesus Christ, who they were, and what, what God has done through Christ in bringing them out of that. And so he says this in verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Uh, that word there, alienated, uh, this would have been a, a huge trigger word, if you would, uh, for the Gentiles, specifically Colossae was, ma- was made up of a lot of Gentiles. And so this word, this word alienated would have been something that would have rubbed them incorrectly because this was a label that was put onto them by the Jews. Um, there, it was used to delineate between those who received God's blessing and those who were outside of it. And so when you called somebody, when you called them an alien, uh, as a Jew, you were speaking. You really were really speaking down to them. It was almost a, a little bit of a racial slur, if you will. Uh, so this would have been a trigger word. And so he, he's he's hitting home to what they used to be. He says, "Listen, you used to be alienated, or or another word that you could use there is estranged. Somebody who is no longer close or affectionate to someone else. And this." Truly is what sin has done for all of us in the grand scheme of the gospel, but most specifically when it came to the Jews, they thought that they, you know, God chose them as a nation, and so they were God's people, and they received God's blessing, and so they pointed to everyone else outside of the nation and called them aliens and said, whoa, these people, they're outside of God's blessing, and so these people were estranged, they were excluded from the blessings of God. Not only that, but they were actually enemies of God. Their problem was deeper than heritage. They were actively hostile to God in both practice and attitude. We are literally enemies of God. And and this is an amazing thought concept. What Paul is saying is here is like, listen, um, not only were you estranged from God, not only were you apart from him, not only were you separated from him, but you were excluded from the blessings of God, and you were even an enemy of God. Now, with all this combined together, thinking about who they were before Christ makes verse 22 that much more unbelievable. Look at what verse 22 says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. So even though I was estranged and set, separated from God because of my sin, even though I was excluded from the blessings of God because I wasn't a part of Israel, and even though I was an enemy of God in all my thoughts and all my actions, always continually rebellious towards Him, Christ still died for me to be reconciled back to the Father. And, and notice Paul's emphasis here on saying Christ's physical body. This would have been a specific jab at those who were speaking uh, false teachings within the church. They would have said that uh, they would have believed in a specific thought concept, asceticism, which I mentioned in week one, but they would say that all matter was evil and therefore Christ didn't really actually have a body. So they really were denying the incarnation of Christ, that he actually became a human. And if there's anything that's important, more as important as anything else in the scriptures is that Jesus was 100% human just as much as he was 100% God. It's a paramount theology in our salvation. 
Because if he wasn't human, then how could he possibly die for us? And so Paul says, hey, listen, we are reconciled. We are made right. We are put back together with God through Christ's physical body. And, and, and just look at the transition of our status. Just, just imagine, right? We start out as people who were estranged and excluded and enemies, and then we turn into people who, are, who have access, who are accepted, and who are acquitted. Read it here. Uh, these, these specific phrases here, these were words commonly used by the Jews when speaking of the temple, right? They, they used the word holy, to be made holy in his sight. This was, this, that word meant set apart, right? God called the Jews to be holy, to be set apart, to be a nation of his own. We spoke about that in our Names of God sermon series, Jehovah Mekadishkim. And this is in reference and being in, in God's presence. If in the, in the temple days, in, in order for you to be in the presence of God, you had to be clean. You had to be made holy. And the only things used within the rituals of the temple were things that were holy. They were not to be tainted or dirty. They were holy. And so this really is a picture for us. It says, uh, see, back in the Jewish times, you could only get in God's presence at a certain time by certain people on certain circumstances. But but what Paul is saying, hey, listen, you have been made holy. That word there would remind them, hey, listen, we have access to God. We no longer have to go through this temple system. We have been made holy. We have access. So even though once we are estranged from him, once we were far off from him, now we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And then it says, without blemish. This would have brought the thoughts of temple sacrifice. And remember, if anything were to be acceptable to God as a sacrifice, it had to be without blemish. It couldn't have any kind of hindrance. There couldn't be anything wrong with the animal. So in the same way, he's saying, hey, listen, just as an animal that is without blemish is acceptable as a sacrifice in the sight of God, so are you. You are accepted. Once you were excluded from the blessings of God, now you were accepted into his family. You have become a part of the blessing, and now you are in his family. And then, of course, free from accusation. This would mean that no charge, uh, this is uh, unreproachable. No charge can be brought against us that could possibly change our relationship to God. We have been acquitted on all accounts. So people... As Christian, we, we as Christians, though, we once were excluded, once, even though once we were estranged, even though once we were enemies of God, now we find ourselves as people who have access, people who have been accepted, and people who have been acquitted of our guilt. That is an amazing thought concept for us there in verses 21 and 22. Just the contrast that happens between pre-Christ and after Christ. And then let's go to verse 23. Verse 23 is the verse I've been struggling with all week. It took me over an hour and a half to two hours to really understand this passage, and I hope to bring to light a little bit of what I've learned. So here's what it says. All those things I just spoke about, being holy in His sight, being unblemished, being free from accusation, is this. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Verse 23 brings us to, to ask a very specific, sensitive question. It sounds as if, if we read this correctly, it sounds as if this. Does this passage justify the idea 
that a Christian can lose his salvation. We've we've already just seen in verses 21 through 22, it talks about the transformation that happens. We go from enemies of God to being accepted by him. And then it says, if you continue in your faith. And so I wanted to answer the question for you. The answer is no. And this is what I found out. I'm not just going to say no and move on. I want to give you a little bit of what I see in this passage. Remember what Paul has been doing for the last whole chapter. The whole time he's been talking to the Colossians, the very first thing he does in starting this passage is that he reaffirms them, right? He, he spends his entire opening commending their genuine faith and how he has heard about the things that they are doing and they truly have the Spirit of God working amongst them. And so it's, it's, it's so funny to me. If we, if we read this passage, we, there, we have to realize that when Paul speaks here in verse 23, he's not talking about specifically salvation because it says it here. It says, this is the gospel that you have heard. At the very end of verse 23, excuse me, it says, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. A lot of people would think that that translates into salvation, but we know that salvation necessarily is not what it's talking about there. Um, Here's the thing. We automatically assume when we hear these things, holy, blameless, free from accusation, we think that those things are something in the future. And yes, while they are, if you look at the Greek in this text, there's actually something very revealing. When he says holy and blameless in his sight, um, we see that there's a transition in verses 20 through 21 where it talks about how we were enemies with God and how, how we were excluded from his blessing. It's using the aorist, which is a past tense verb. And then if you look in verse 22 through 23, he switches to the infinitive which is a present tense, not a future tense, but a present tense. And so he's referring to our present condition before God, not our position in Christ. See, so often I think we, we struggle in our faith. And first off, let me, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second because I hate that phrase. I'm really, I, I talk to a lot of people and say, hey, how you doing? They're like, yeah, and I'm really struggling with my faith. And, and first off, that's a red flag for me. Um, I'm usually, I try to be very gracious in all circumstances, but when I hear I'm struggling with my faith and I just want to look at them and I want to grab them by their ears and I want to say, well, that's the whole issue because we're not supposed to be people who struggle with our faith. We're supposed to be people who struggle for our faith. You're fighting the wrong thing. Uh, the faith is a fight. It's not something that you, something you fight for, not something you fight against. You're struggling with your faith. You're battling the wrong thing. You struggle for your faith. Okay, that's just my little soapbox. But nonetheless, so many of us, we, we struggle with our faith, right? And, um, and this is what, and, and we, we start thinking, oh no, am I saved? Am, am I really going to go to heaven? Does God really love me? And, and this passage is one of those things that make you think that. But here's the thing. The hope of the gospel is not just our salvation. And, and as a matter of fact, Our salvation is already accomplished. It's so accomplished that when Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 8, he puts it in the past tense. So the hope of the gospel here, it says, so do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That doesn't mean our salvation. That's something deeper. That's something bigger. Because our salvation has already been accomplished. And here's the thing. 
that I do myself. It's just a natural thing that, that I think Christians in the church do all the time. We, we get so consumed with our future holiness that we, don't, we just forget the current holiness of our lives. See, what Paul is speaking about is how we conduct our lives here and now. He wants us to be holy and blameless and free from accusation now. He wants us to live above reproach now. We, we, we rest in the fact, yes, we rest in the fact that Jesus, that God sees us as perfection, yes. But sometimes we get so consumed with future holiness, we forget about the current holiness that we're in right here and right now. Listen, don't be confused. God is not in love with a future version of you. He's in love with who you are here and now. And that's what God is all about. He wants you to be holy now. It's not something in the future. It's not something he's looking forward to you to becoming. He doesn't look at you and say, I can't wait till you become this perfect person that I've already seen you as. No, he says, I want to see you holy in my sight. I want to see you blameless, without blemish. I want to see you free from accusation here in this world. That's what it's talking about here. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul is using an architectural image in this verse. He's using a house firmly set on a foundation. And this specific type of imagery would have been very effective to Colossae. See, this town was located in a region known for earthquakes. And the Greek word there, do not move also can mean earthquake stricken. And so he's saying if you stay firm in the teachings of Christ, you can live a holy life now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to live the way God wants you to live. Yes, we're always going to have the flesh. We're always going to have the world. We're always going to have things that hinder us. But that's no excuse to start living holy in his sight, to be living blameless and to be living free of accusation now. That's what the Father wants from us now. He's not, worried. He's not worried about the future. He's not in love with a future version of yourself. He's not. He's in love with you now, and he wants to see you change now. Yeah. Let's continue on. Verse 24. <clears throat> now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What I love about this is in verse 24, we really see a shift. Paul spends the whole first part of his letter thanking and praying for the Colossians. Then he goes into exalting Christ. And now finally he gets to explaining his current situation. And he says this, and now I rejoice. The reason Paul would have started out with something like this phrase is because the false teachers were actually using his imprisonment to discredit his teachings. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, this imprisonment that I'm in, it's not something that to be ashamed of. It's actually... Proof of my legitimacy. He says, I want to fill up in my body. I want to fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. See, imprisonment is suffering on behalf of Christ, which is why he's rejoicing. He, he considers it amazing that he's counted worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. 
And not only suffering on behalf of Christ, but also the Gentiles, which is what he goes on to say in verse 26 or 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of mystery. Here's the thing. The strange thing about suffering, it's something that we always find ourselves trying to avoid. But the thing about suffering is that suffering is the miracle grow of the gospel. Me and, my, me and my son just planted a garden. And of course, you know, we had our compost, but on the very top, we put our miracle grow. And the miracle grow is like that, that deep, dark, rich soil that has all the nutrients, it has all the good stuff. It's what makes and allows the, the plants to grow. And, and in the same way, suffering for the Christian is the miracle grow of the gospel. As a matter of fact, J. Vernon McGee, somebody who's wrote a lot of commentary, said this. He says, in order for the gospel to go forward today, Someone must suffer. In order for the gospel to go forward today, someone must suffer. Do you want to you ask me, hey, Will, why do you think the church is at a standstill? Hey, Will, why do you think Christianity isn't growing in America? Hey, Will, what is going on in the church? You want to ask me? We're not suffering enough. We live in a place of comfort. We live in a place where we can have all of our nice things and we can still be a Christian and we can still go to church and we have all the things that we need. We live in comfort. The gospel isn't growing because we aren't suffering. Listen, suffering is the miracle grow of the gospel. It is. That's exactly what we're doing when you deny yourself and follow Christ. You deny yourself of things. It's a type of suffering. Fasting withholding eating is a type of suffering and it's a what allows the gospel to grow it's the miracle grow of the gospel suffering and he's saying i count it joy i rejoice that i am suffering and he says because of my suffering the gospel is now reaching the gentiles paul could have easily just closed up shop because he could have easily just preached to the jews but no he decided to keep preaching to the gentiles and he was imprisoned for it and then in verses 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. In its fullness. Not, not in part, but in fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden from ages, for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Does anybody love a good mystery book? Man, I love my favorite. If you were to say, Will, what is your favorite genre of book, favorite genre of movie? 100% every single time, mystery. Mystery thriller. I don't care if there's a death. I just want to know. I just, I love it, man. There's, I will, I'll tell you, there was this one time I was in a, a book club in middle school. First time I ever read, the first time I ever read a mystery book, it was, it was called Spirit Seeker by Joan Lowry Nixon. And by the way, I haven't read a book by Joan Lowry Nixon that I have not liked. But there's this one called Spirit Seeker, and I have never been more enthralled. I've never been more mesmerized than when I read that book. And if, and if you were to say, hey, Will, um, within Scripture, what would you classify it as if it had a genre for you? I would say this. Um, if I were to classify the Old Testament as a specific genre, I'd call it a mystery. See, Look, I have for you several verses, and I, they're going to be up on the screen. There are a lot of them, um, but just I want you to read them. It, and it's hard for us not to read them within the context of the things that we know. But if we were to read the Old Testament with fresh eyes, not knowing that Christ had come, not knowing that the Holy Spirit would come down, let's just read the Old Testament and notice the mysterious flavors 
found. I got one, two, three, four. I have five passages. I try to get them from different books just to show you that the, the, that the whole Old Testament is a mystery. Let's look at this. We'll start in Ezekiel. And it's, uh, by the way, most of the context of these passages uh, is that uh, Israel is currently in captivity uh, because of their sin. And in most of these, they're going to be little glimpses of hope. It says, hey, listen, even though right now you're in captivity, this is what is to come. And this is what it says. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Hmm. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you, or I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, obviously, within the lens of the New Testament, we understand that passage, but just think about it as a Jew would think about it. Think about it as somebody who, would, who hadn't known about Jesus. This, this would have been confusing. What do you mean, my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh and putting a new spirit in me and, and giving me a new heart and how are you going to clean me? I'm, uh, and then let's keep reading. Deuteronomy 30, verses 4 through 6. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to a land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Check this, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. Well, I understand as a Jew what circumcision is, but circumcision of the heart, what does that mean? And, and, and you, you've commanded me to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. That's, that's found in the Shema. Uh, which is like the, the number one huge scripture statement of all of Israel. That's found in the Shema. Yet here in this passage, you say that you promise that once you circumcise our hearts, it's no longer something that I have to do. I just automatically do it. Hmm. Let's go on to Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Wow. I will, how, God, how are you going to put your law in my heart? How is that going to be? That, I just can't understand that. You, do you, I hope you see the mysterious flavors. Let's go on to another one. I got a couple more. We're going to get a little bit more specific, and then we're going to get back to our text, and then I'm going to close the, close the book. Okay, here we go. Ezekiel 32, verses 14 through 18. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy cities deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys, a, posh, a pasture for flocks, till the Spirit is poured on us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field seems like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness will live in fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. It gets a little bit more specific. Till the Spirit is poured on us from on high. Hmm. Spirit. 
So there's, there's this, what, what does he mean by spirit? And then in Joel 2, 28 through 30, and this is the last one. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show them wonders in heaven and on earth, blood, fire, and billows of smoke. See, this word mystery, it's truth that used to be concealed, withheld, and is now later revealed. See, the Old Testament prophets, they did this all the time. When they spoke of these things, they had no idea what God had planned. And see, we're saved in faith by looking back on the cross. They were saved by faith and looking forward to it. They knew God was going to create a new covenant, and he was going to do all these things that, they had, that they're literally speaking of, that they have no idea about. But they trusted God that he would do those things. And so he says that. And, and what's so cool is this word mystery, actually, when Paul says it, it's really a pointed jab at the false teachers as well because they use this word to describe the inner secrets of their religions, this mystery. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, the mystery is revealed. There's no mystery. There's no inner secret there, to this religion. This, this is it. So what's the mystery? What's this revealed? This whole sermon series entitled Revealer, what has God revealed to us? This is the mystery. This is the mystery. God is... I'll get there in a minute. I forgot one point. Think about this as a Jew. So you see these passages and you hear... And, and I didn't cover everything. There's a lot of things about Jesus Christ... Uh, there's a lot of things about a coming king, uh, about a Messiah. There's these things about suffering. There's these things about the Spirit. And so uh, there's a lot of things that the Jews would, would mess with. There's a lot of things that they would uh, discover and see. And so they had a pretty good idea of what it looked like for a Messiah to come and to be appointed the king. By the way, they were completely wrong about that. But there were some things they just couldn't coalesce, right? Like God sending a Messiah to reign, but first in order for him to reign, he has to suffer. That doesn't make any sense. Or... Um, um, there's the spirit. What does he mean by spirit? And so what is this mystery? What is this thing that the Jews were missing? It was the inclusion of the Gentiles. The inclusion of the Gentiles by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. See, here's the thing. And I'm going to preach something that might seem a little heretical. Just bear with me. Sometimes... We think the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the exclamation point of our faith. But, but maybe, but maybe, and even I think Jesus would might agree that it's not. See, if we look at the story of the Bible, the main character is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Joel 2, 28, verse 30. That's exactly the same quote that Peter speaks when he speaks at the day of Pentecost. See, so many people, so many churches fall into the category. They say they believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but really what they believe in is Father, Son, Holy Bible. They kind of push the Spirit out. They kind of do away with Him, and, and, and we begin to be dogmatic, and, and we, we rely on, and don't get me wrong, the Holy Bible has a great place in our lives. It is the Word of God in flesh was Jesus, therefore the Word is very special but we're missing out on the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that, the, that Easter isn't a wrong place in our hearts at all, but what I'm trying to say is this. 
Why don't we celebrate Pentecost the way we celebrate the resurrection or the way we celebrate the birth of Christ? It is just as important. It is just as amazing. The Spirit pouring down. That was the mystery of, that's the revealing mystery. The mystery was the Holy Spirit. And look, Jesus would agree with me. If you don't think so, let's look at the Bible. John 16, 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Hey, listen, guys. The Holy Spirit was always the end game. It was always God's intent. He didn't finish with just Jesus. We are still living out the story of the Bible. The Holy Spirit. Very truly, I tell you, this is another one. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, uh, somebody's coming to help you, and you're going to do greater things than me. You want to know about the exclamation point? That's the Holy Spirit. That was the end game. Yes, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is paramount. Do not get me wrong, but it's not the exclamation point. It is the statement. Don't get me wrong. It's the statement, but it's not the exclamation point. The Holy Spirit is. And look at this. If you're not even more like confirmed, listen, Matthew 3.11. This is the John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Hey, by the way, he's about to say something about this person who comes after him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Did you know Jesus' whole commission, not only just to love you, not only just to show you how to suffer, not only just to, to be a light in this world, but he came to bring the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was always the end game. It was always what God had planned. Jesus being here in the flesh, God being here in the flesh is an amazing feat. Do not get me wrong. It is the greatest thing to ever happen to us. But if we miss out on the Holy Spirit and what it has for us, that's what he says in verse 27. He says, listen, this is the mystery revealed. If we go back to that, Christ in you. Say it with me. Christ in you. Christ in you. That's the mystery revealed. The same How do you think Jesus rose from the grave? How do you think he worked all of his miracles? How do you think he lived a sinless life? Not in this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit you and I have, the mystery of the gospel. The one piece of the puzzle the Jews could not explain was the Holy Spirit coming down to dwell inside of us. They always saw God dwelling in a temple somewhere outside of man. And even though it's all sprinkled throughout the whole Old Testament, they could never catch it because it was never fully revealed until now, until Jesus came here. Jesus is the revealer of the gospel. The gospel, the main, the main thing the gospel came to do, yes, to save us from our sins, to make us right with God, but to give us the Holy Spirit that we might live an empowered life. I'm tired of watching Christians not live the way they're supposed to live. I'm tired of watching Christians be miserable. I'm tired of watching Christians look like everyone else in the world. I'm tired of Christians who say that they're Christians, but really deep down, they don't even know who Jesus is because if they did, they would have the Holy Spirit. And if they had the Holy Spirit, they would live differently. Here's the mystery of the gospel. Jesus Christ in you, that's it. That's it. Jesus Christ in you. The Holy Spirit is the exclamation point to everything. Yeah. 
He's what brings it full circle. He was with the Father at the very beginning in creation. He was there. He hovered over the waters. He knew. God knew his plan. It didn't end with just Jesus. It ends with the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus is exalted and lifted high, he is not with us anymore. Today, here in this room, you and I, in the wherever rooms that you might find yourselves, we have the mystery of the gospel. Christ living in us. The Holy Spirit living in us. Why do we not celebrate that? Why is Pentecost not on the map? Why is it not in the calendar of the church? Why is it not something we party hard to? Hey, by the way, fun fact, Pentecost is in two weeks. Pentecost is seven weeks after we, after Easter. And it's just so funny to me. I think um, if, if you look at when we started the church, Jim, I, I put this little point in here for you. When we looked at starting the church, it, was this, it wasn't that year, but it falls on that time. Sometimes, I think it was the year before that. We opened up on June 3rd. Um, the day of Pentecost was the Sunday before. The day of Pentecost was the Sunday before. And some days, one of these days, it's going to land on the same day. I just, I just want to put that in there for you, Jim. But nonetheless, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was the end game. And that's exactly why he ends with this. You know, we're, we've been talking about being holy in his sight in the here and now. We've been talking about being free from accusation. We've been talking about being without blemish. Well, if those aren't future things, how can I have those things now? He tells you here, the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the gospel. It's what it's all about. Man, yes, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amazing. But the exclamation point to our faith ought to be, ought to be the Holy Spirit, Christ living in us. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word and we're so grateful for the part and impact the Holy Spirit plays in your story and in our lives. And we thank you for the inclusion of the Gentiles because most most of us, if not all of us, would not be included, would not we would be estranged, we would be excluded from the blessings of God we would be still enemies with you, but you have given us access. You have given us acceptance. You have acquitted us all of our guilt, not just in the future, but here and now. Father, thank you for not being in love with a future version of ourselves. Thank you for being in love with who we are now. So help us, Father, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which literally is the mystery of the whole gospel. How could God dwell in man? How could God dwell in sinful man? That doesn't even make sense if you think about it. The, the Spirit of God, who is perfect and holy and blameless, dwell in me. This flesh and bones that doesn't have a good thought on its own. If that doesn't blow your mind, you don't understand it quite yet. But we're so grateful, God, that that mystery is a reality for us. Father, help us celebrate that. Help us be a church that puts Pentecost back on the calendar. Help us be a church that puts Pentecost back on the map because it's just as important as the birth of Christ. It's just as important of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's still a part of your plan. And we're living it out and we're so grateful today. Even Jesus himself said that we're going to do greater things than him. 
And yet I don't see it anywhere in the church. I don't see that anywhere. I look at Jesus and I say, wow, I want to be like him. When really we have that opportunity and really there's people out there who we could say, wow, he's doing greater things than Jesus. That just sounds heretical, but it's because we're not living out the lives you have called us to live. So Father, help us put the, help us put the Holy Spirit back in the Trinity. Help it be Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not Father, Son, Holy Bible. Yes, it has a place in our lives. Yes, it is powerful and impactful and it changes us. And I am not telling anybody not to read the Bible. But I am saying we need to leave room for the Spirit in our lives. We push them aside. We, we put them into the closet. But that's where it all started. On the day of Pentecost, this age of grace, this church that we're a part of, the Holy Spirit is the exclamation point, Father. I thank you for that. And I pray it'd be the exclamation point of our lives. Every word we spoke, every action we made would be ended with an exclamation point of the Holy Spirit. We love you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.